Uh, good evening, everybody. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. The great and powerful Oz. Uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew 18. Uh, I decided to choose a passage, a main passage, really, just to talk about uh, the the main role of God the Holy Spirit that Jesus tells us about in John 16. And that kind of blossomed into a few lessons, I think, will complete uh, the idea around that main theme on Sunday. So as we're doing that, I'm still working on the doctrine of prayer, uh, and I've got a couple other things in the on deck before I, before I get ready to do prayer. And it should be great, actually. So let's uh, begin with prayer. Let's thank God for our opportunity to hear his word and to relate to him, to be able to focus our hearts and minds upon him and in humility learn more about him. So with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, our great and mighty God, thank you for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who we know through him and only through him that we can confidently say that we are your sons and daughters, that we can call you Lord. We know, Father, that we live in a sinful world, but it's a temporary world, and that your kingdom is to come. We also know that we're a part of that kingdom now. And therefore, in our hearts, we know the rules, the laws, and not just to be ethical, but to also know our relationship to you and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit so that we have a joyous and intimate relationship with you in which we experience your truth right inside of ourselves and our hearts and we manifest that truth in our actions, in our bodies, in our speech, and in our work. And therefore, Father, you have made us lights in this world. We know that it's a temporary world, and all the craziness that is in it will end someday. And so, Father, we thank you that you have revealed these things to us so that we can have peace and hope and joy and also know what we should do so that we can see you more. We ask, Father, that through your Spirit, that that would uh, be further increased in each of our hearts. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, as we've seen in in John 16, the main theme of the ministry of God the Holy Spirit is to proclaim to us the things of Christ, which Christ said are the same as the things of the Father. And so Jesus told, as he also said in John 5, if you honor me, you honor the Father. Uh, When Philip asked him in John 14, uh, show us the Father and it'll be good enough. And Jesus said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, And and so 
<clears throat> we, and I'm going to repeat this again and again. When we do the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, it'll be continue to be repeated. That it, it's it's very important because we can be so easily uh, led astray, even in doctrine, in sound doctrine. Uh, if we focus, say for instance, we focus excessively and only on the Spirit's ministry to us to learn His Word, to learn the Word of God. And now that we have to do, and the ministry of the Spirit is one of the ministries of the Spirit, is to teach us the content of the Scripture. You know, what it really means. But if we, if, if we focus on that to the exclusion of why we're learning the Scripture, then we can become proud, arrogant, um, all puffed up about our knowledge. That's where Christians get into arguments about, I know this, I know this is true, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and we argue about, I know more than you, and all of that. And you've missed it completely. There's a reason for the Scripture, and it's to become Christ-like. It's the whole purpose of it. And there's a reason for the various ministries of God the Holy Spirit are all leading towards the same thing. And it makes perfect sense. If the main ministry, and it is, of the Holy Spirit is to proclaim to us the things of Christ, then the things of Christ are things like wisdom, power, compassion, service, sacrifice, purity of heart, purity in conduct, uh, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, all those ninefold. It makes even more sense to me now that when, when Paul writes the fruit of the Spirit is, not are, is, and fruit is in the singular, karpos, the Greek word is, means fruits in the singular. It's not fruits. It's not the fruits are. It's the fruit is. But then he gives us nine things. And the reason why it's singular there can be multiple reasons, but one of the reasons that you know really speaks to me is all of that fruit is from one person. See, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, I always leave out one. For me, it's the eightfold fruit. <laughs> and that's just because I'm old. <laughs> no, but uh, they all are characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ. We say, well, aren't they characteristics of the Holy Spirit? Well, of course they are. The Trinity is unified. Uh, but we are to exhibit love, peace, joy like our Lord did. See, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one of the Trinity who has taken upon himself humanity. And he's the one. We're humans. We're not God. And so we're to be like him. And so the it makes sense. The Holy Spirit is going to show us what love is. Why? So that we can see Jesus Christ and love like he does. So it's not like any old love. Uh, the Holy Spirit is going to show or give us power. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ has power. Right? And so to see him is not an academic exercise only. Right? And that's true for any person. Quote-unquote person. A person, we were talking about this in theology class today. 
um, you know, a person has a will, an intellect, um, a soul, a desire, uh, a consciousness, a self-consciousness, uh, and, and, and uh, a conscience, you know, where they uh, determine good and bad. Uh, and so, you know, the, the Holy Spirit has those things, our Lord has those things, and we have those things because we're made in God's image. And if so, it's not an exercise of, you know, memorizing a biography. And if you, uh, I've been I've been listening to this audio book about the Middle Ages. I keep mentioning it. I'm fascinated with this book because I'm, the part I'm learning about now is Martin Luther. I just listened to it as I'm driving in and from Dallas to Salem and Salem to Dallas, you know. And Martin Luther is an interesting character. Uh, oh, and, you know, he... <laughs> but anyway, it, but do I know Martin Luther? Can I say, yeah, you know, some people say, oh, I know Martin Luther, anti-Semite, he has a reputation for that. Uh, reputation for being too hard or too harsh or whatever. I don't know him. I know of him, something. You know, I found out that he didn't actually nail the 95 treatises uh, to, to the, the church door at Wittenberg. He didn't actually do that. It's a myth. He wrote them up and sent them to the bishop. And I, this is crazy, if I could be off on a side here. The bishop reads these things, these 95 theses that are against the pope selling indulgences and the the bishop here is reading this and all he has to do is tear it up and throw it out i mean he doesn't agree with it he hates it he's a papist you know he could have burned it but somebody they the one of the theories is one of his secretaries got a hold of it and made copies because within a few months we had the printing press now the printing press is a new thing they made hundreds of copies of this thing and sent it all over Germany. And that's how Martin Luther became famous. Everybody loved it. And, that, and that's how Martin Luther became an enemy of Rome. So anyway, what was my point? I don't know Martin Luther. I don't know Martin Luther King either. Who was named after Martin Luther. <laughs> the kid is all right. I'm just going to keep doing it. Uh, the, the kid who sits next to me, I finally got to know uh, my seatmate uh, in my theology class. His father's a pastor, great, wonderful young man, and his name's Angel. And he said, so, "Oh, so in he's Spanish. Even he has an accent." And I'm like, "Do, do you go by Angel? You know, they go sometimes by Angel." And he's like, no, Angel. And he's like, some, some of my friends call me Gabe, too, because my middle name is Gabriel. And I'm like, Angel Gabriel? That's your name? And he said, yeah, my brother's name is Michael Angel. So the, the, and I'm like, do you have any other brothers? Because there's only two archangels, right? So, and that's it. There's only two of them. So he actually he actually said he might come visit us. He, he asked where the church was, and he said he'd love to come visit. So if the angel Gabriel shows up here, he's not going to look like what you expected. <laughs> he's kind of short and Latino. 
Anyway, I'm going to move on with my message. You can tell I'm a little, uh, I'm a little sleep deprived. <laughs> anyway, uh, so the we we must not focus on one aspect of the spirit to the neglect of the others. And this is how we can avoid that, knowing the main theme of what he's doing, showing us, and the word is proclaiming to us, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if I start getting into all like how powerful I am, because the Spirit gives me power, and I find I'm neglecting service and love and sacrifice, you know, I'll know that because being like Christ is not only being powerful. It includes it, but it's not only that. And this is what will help us avoid getting uh, distracted. So, why is it important to have revelation of the person of Christ? It's because He enlightens you. Knowing Him is to be changed by Him. All of doctrine here is about Him. It all points to Him. The whole story of the Bible builds to the redemption of mankind through Jesus Christ. And then after that occurs, the New Testament is about that redemption. And what it means to us. It means a lot. All of that life, the victory of Christ, what is to come, you know, all the things that are come upon Israel and upon the world, what is it all centered on? Is it about Israel? No. It's about their king and our king. So, the revelation of Jesus Christ enlightens me, animates me, transforms me, and transforms you. And that's another thing I have to know. As when the Lord taught us to pray, is our Father. We're all together in this, in the body of Christ. As we joked before class, we're all going to be forever together. So he stirs our sluggishness, sharpens our insight, soothes uh, our guilty consciences. You know, our sinful, we're sinful and, and guilty about that. But he soothes that. I'm forgiven. What I did in the past, you know, it doesn't mean, it doesn't determine my current, currentness. It doesn't determine my future. I may have done a lot of bad things in the past, and I have, but it doesn't determine who I am today. I'm amazed by that. I'm amazed that I don't walk around just guilt-ridden all the time. And it's, it's supernatural. It's, and I, I personally, I think that it is, and I, I'd say scripturally, because the scripture says, especially in Romans 8, it says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, heirs also. And <clears throat> it's not only knowing I'm forgiven. I mean, and for any of us, it's not. We have to know that, but it's not only knowing that that soothes our conscience. There's got to be something supernatural happening inside of us, and it turns out that there is. I mean, is the Holy Spirit in there just to be an occupant, just to say, "Hey, look, you're, you know, I'm never going to leave you. 
he could be on us or with us. That would be the same as never leaving you. And, and the fact that he's omnipresent means he can't leave you anyway. But he's in us for a reason. And the reason is to tell us something and to make that something a reality. So in that passage in Romans 8, he is assuring us that we're children of God. And to be a child of God, you have to be justified, you have to be righteous, you have to be sanctified, you have to be holy, you have to be saved. And he's the one who's confirming that to us. So knowing Christ is to know that I'm forgiven. Knowing him is to not be bitter and angry and worried. Right? There's an effect. Knowing Him affects how I think. That doesn't mean I'm never going to get angry. But when I do, and I catch myself being angry, uh, is, this, is this what I should be? Like, you think this through. Is this what I've been called to? Is this what I am now in Christ? Is this my Lord? And you just, you know, you know immediately. You have no right. I don't care who's done what to you or said what to you. You have zero right to be angry at anybody. He supports us under pressure. You know, if the Lord could do what he did, we're not called to do remotely anything like it. But we're called to suffer as he suffered. So he said, pick up your cross and follow me, right? Follow me. Do it like I did it. Knowing how he did it, and it, it, it's more than knowing how he did it, though you have to know that, but it's knowing the one who did it. And then I can pick up my cross. Cause I, and, and all of this puts in us, because he so gloriously changes us, that we worship him, we adore him, and all on his merits, not on ours. We worship Him, we adore Him, we love Him, we become loyal to Him. And the Holy Spirit is showing us Christ so that we come to see Him in that light. And by such we will be changed. So what does the Holy Spirit do? This is in the Scripture clearly. He interprets the Scripture for us. He illuminates our hearts as to the truth and reality of Scripture, assuring us of its validity, assuring us of the Scripture's reality. It's a supernatural thing. That's why the natural-minded man can't comprehend. They think that spiritual things are foolish. But for us, they're not. So we tell these things to unbelievers. If you were to tell the unbeliever about, you know, the war, the invisible war with Satan and you know the things that are to come in the end times and all that, they'd be like, you know, you should probably give up whatever you're smoking, you know, that's what they're gonna think. But you know, for us it's absolute truth and reality, and that is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts and gives us the power to use them. Therefore, he is the empowerer behind our good works and the wisdom to do those good works and how to do them. He bears witness to us, as I said in Romans 8, of our adoption. We're children of God and therefore our election. We have an inheritance. He helps our human weakness 
and He supernaturally engenders our faith. Our weakness in prayer is helped by Him, creating in us love, joy, and hope, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and self-control. I leave out of there again. Goodness is, you know, these are all facets of Christ's character. So it turns out by living this character, we see this character. And as we see him and his character, we live this character. And it's a momentum thing. But if I lose sight of him, and I think, you know, I'm just called to be a Bible scholar. or And we all are called to be Bible scholars, as I'll show you. But if I think, you know, the whole purpose is just me getting knowledge and that's the end of it then if I, if I lose sight of <clears throat> him, then I'm going to lose sight of what Christianity is truly all about. And that's where all these religions come from. You know, denominationalism is spawned from that. So I will say again that we must never lose sight of the main reason of the Spirit's ministry, which is to proclaim to us the things of Christ. So we're going to have two things. What is the Spirit saying and how do we hear it? And these are both things that can, if we forget the reason why he's for what he's saying, and if we forget the reason for why we should be the way that we are so that we can listen. Because you have to be in a certain condition to listen. That's true for actually anything. Anything. If you don't want to hear something, you're not going to hear it. You can't even be forced. Uh, and so there's two things. So what is he going to proclaim to us? That is the Scripture. Because where is Christ revealed? Only in the Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, that's where he is. Uh, as the Quakers believed, can we, like in prayer, get special revelation from God that's not found in the Bible? The answer is no. I mean, think about how dangerous that would be. I heard God told me to do this. There's been a few people who have done that. <laughs> That's how cults start and all other kinds of viciousness starts. It just comes from the truth of the Word of God. Are we going to make sure that we know what the Word of God is truly saying? So that's another thing. It can't be of like our, my opinion of what I think the Word of God says. That's not going to cut it. So the voice of the Spirit, and this is in 1 Corinthians 2.9. This whole passage in 1 Corinthians 2 is about this very thing where it's, uh, Paul writes, for, us, God, for to us God has revealed them. The them is what eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and has not entered into the mind of God. Now think about it. That is Jesus Christ. Right? What eye is not... I, I mean, I can't rationalize... Um, and no, no person can. It has to come from revelation. And uh, so the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So the revelation of God is only in the Scripture. Now, it's true that some know more Scripture than others, but we must remember no one knows it all. This is very freeing. Do I have to know all the Scripture to have a deep personal relationship with Christ? No. Because then no one would have one. Some know more than others, but we have to know enough. If you don't know any 
Scripture. And I, what I mean by that is the truth in it, not just like you know the or memorize the words. But if you don't know what's in the Bible, God's message to us, then you're not going to have much of a understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, because where else would you get it? But whatever you do know, see, here's the thing, you could be a brand new believer and you just know, you know, whatever you learned over the last few months. If you put your faith in those things that you've learned, and if you, you know, by faith, you, and also through things like you've contemplated them, you've thought them through. In other words, you know, what makes knowledge into wisdom is the fact that that knowledge becomes personally involved in me, incorporated in me, and in fact changes me. Then, you know, and whatever you know, that you can start your relationship with the Lord. And it's true of any relationship, a deep personal relationship. It starts with a limited knowledge of another person, and over time that knowledge increases. You get to know them more. But even in human relationships, you never get to know 100% of another person's mind. I don't think you want to know that because we're fallen, you know. But you'll never know 100% of the mind of Christ in this lifetime. Nobody will. And we explored that last time. We have to know enough to understand uh, and understand to relate to our Lord in all aspects of our lives. And as Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, these qualities must keep increasing. So if I say I know enough about the Lord, I don't want to know any more, then you've got, you've got an issue in that. The issue is, is that in what you do know, you haven't actually seen. Right? Because you can have knowledge, but you, if you haven't by faith like really come to understand, and it's the Holy Spirit that does this, but we also have to desire to understand. So I, re- I read today, in one of the books I'm reading on prayer, that this guy suggested, he was talking about learning Scripture. Because if you're going to pray right, you have to know the mind of God and, and pray accordingly, uh, according to that mind. And he mentioned, you know, so he said, uh, read a passage that you're either currently studying or reading, Close the Bible, and now summarize it in your own words. All right? You can write it down or whatever. Now go back to that very passage and read it again, and you'll be like, wow, I missed a bunch. Read it again, summarize it again, close the Bible, summarize it again. This sounds like an awesome method. I'm going to try it. But say you did something like that, or in prayer... You're like, you know, God, uh, you know, what does it mean to, that you're my father? What does it mean that I'm your child? What does it mean? You know, what does Jesus' cross mean? Do I really desire? Now, those are big questions. You could get probably a little more specific. But, you know, like, what do these things really mean? Now, what do they mean to me? How do they change me? How should they change me? In what areas of my life am I resisting these truths or am I ignorant of? And see, that's searching. You could read the whole Bible through over and over and over again and not search out its meaning. And that's what I'm getting at. 
For whatever you know, if you've searched out its meaning and by faith it has truly incorporated itself into you, that is a part of Jesus Christ that you know and your relationship with him has begun. I mean, and I mean experiential. I don't mean, I'm not talking about salvation and we have a relationship with him forever. I'm talking about in time, in this life, truly seeing him day by day. Think of the thief on the cross. How much doctrine did that guy know? He hung with thief on the cross. He's really a murderer on the cross. They were murderers. So he committed murder not long ago. So we're thinking he's probably very recently born again and saved. <laughs> probably. And, you know, he's hanging there on the cross. And he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now that man, and a few years later, would have met up with the Apostle Paul in the same place, in heaven. And Paul would have known tons more about the Lord than the, the murderer on the cross. But I, I doubt that they both uh, you know, went into a theological discussion and are still in it, or argued theology, or, or the, the, one, the thief was uh, you know, regulated to a lesser part of heaven. You, you go where the dummies go, and that kind of thing. No, they together enjoyed the Lord Jesus Christ and heaven. Does that mean we shouldn't know? No. Uh, the guy on the cross had a very limited time. <laughs> you know, but one thing he knew is that, you know, if you take from his words, the Lord was gum- coming into his kingdom, and if the Lord chose, he could take him with him. So a part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Scripture. Does that mean we have to know it all? Absolutely not, because nobody does. But the more we know, the more we see. The more you see of a person, the more you know them. And when it comes to Christ, the more you know him, the more you enjoy him. That's what it's all about. You know, we we, oftentimes we think, like, I I think of uh, what I'm learning about medieval Christianity, when even before the Reformation, where everything was, not everything was, but most things were in Europe, in Western Europe, you know, run by the, the Roman Church. And, <clears throat> you know, there was a lot of pressure on people to be moral, uh, and not that the church leadership was all that much, it turns out. But, uh, you know, there, there's one thing to be, <laughs> we, it, it's okay. Don't worry, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We've just, you know, we don't have babysitters, so that's okay. Maggie, be quiet back there. Um, what, is, what are we being moral for? I mean, can you imagine? Maybe you've been, I've been. I mean, actually, everybody's been this. Where you learn what it is that you ought to do and what you're not ought to do, and you say, "Well, I guess I better do that." And if for some religious people, and I mean well-meaning Christians, you know, they think they better do that or else. Yeah, but or else what? But then there's other Christians who say, "Hey, you know what? You're forgiven of all sin." Like when the Corinthians heard that they were forgiven of all sin. 
You mean I have eternal life and I can't lose it? Nope. I'm the temple of God? Yep. You're indwelt by God? Yep. There's no sin that I can commit that would separate me from the love of Christ? Nope. Well, hot dang. Right? And so you, the, your pendulum swings the other way. And you say, well, so life, I can, get, I can do whatever I want. I mean, I've told people, I think of this conversation I had with somebody I worked I was very young in Christianity, and I didn't have hardly any answers for anybody who asked me anything. <laughs> but, you know, he said, I said, you know, I was, gave them the gospel. And this, this guy, uh, John was his name, he said to me, uh, you know, so what, if I murder somebody, I'm still going to go to heaven? And I'm like, well, yeah. And I, I didn't think to say, so the first thing you think of when you hear about salvation is in Jesus Christ, is you want to go kill somebody and just see if you can get away with it? But what are we being moral for? Ethical. Why? To see him. You see, as the Holy Spirit is proclaiming, that's the word that's used, as the Holy Spirit is proclaiming to be Jesus Christ, if my eyes, my mind, my eyes, my heart are looking at fleshly, sinful, worldly things, I ain't paying attention. I'm not going to know anything about him. And I could be a solid studier of the Scripture and know a whole lot about it. But I'm a sinful man. I mean, look, we're all sinful, but I mean my lifestyle is sinful. So as the Holy Spirit is revealing, trying to reveal to me Christ, I'm not looking. And so that's what we find out. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, Blessed are, every one of those, there's eight of them. He says, blessed, I think there's eight. There's blessed are the, and then he, you know, the poor in spirit. But then the blessed are, they shall, what? So, blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Right, so we think, well, God's kind of, you know, what does that does that mean that God's kind of snobbish, and He's not going to show Himself to anybody who sins? But then we think to ourselves, say, wait a minute, we're all sinners, didn't He? Show, if He didn't show Himself to the sinners, what, <laughs> where would we? How would we get pure in the first place? So it's not that God is hiding Himself from anybody. It's that God is pure. And if you're going to see purity, you've got to be looking at it. And he's made us this way. You can't serve two masters. And say, with my eyes, I'm looking at purity, but with my heart, I'm looking at wickedness. And God said, no, you can't do that. I didn't design you that way. You'd have to be two people. So, uh, look at Matthew 18.1. Oh, wait, I, I missed, I had to say something about this. Uh, not yet. So, <laughs> a part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the Scripture. And so here we can find ourselves in danger, as I mentioned already. If we focus purely on the Spirit's ability to teach us the Word of God, which He does, then we might conclude that we can know all the truth 
or we might conclude that my knowledge is the only thing that matters. And does your knowledge matter? Yes. See, Christianity is for adults. It's for grown-ups. It, it's not. It's life. And life is complicated. And that's why we can be so easily fooled, even in doctrine, because we want everything so simple. Just make it cut and dry. As one of my one of the guys I was reading says, you know, Christians want everything to be like Harry Potter. All right, so you're either an evil witch or you're a good witch, or like in the Wizard of Oz, for some reason that was a reference earlier. Uh, might as well, you know, it's either you're Belinda the good witch or you're the green-skinned hag with the flying monkeys. There's no in between, right? So, but. <clears throat> And it's true that there's good and evil, and there's no such thing as a as a gray area there. But when it comes to the reality of life, I need to have as much knowledge as possible. But knowledge can puff up, as Paul wrote, and if I'm only focusing on my knowledge, and then, like as Paul said, you have all knowledge, but you don't have love. And I've known people, I've been this, I've known people to be like this, and my, myself too. Uber doctrinal, knowing all the ins and outs of doctrine and dispensations and eschatology and this doctrine and that doctrine. But when it came to sacrificing my time or my energy to serve another, even consider another, <laughs> I didn't like that. I like the scholarly part. I don't like the working part. <laughs> Right. And look, if, so you need both and more. You need the whole thing. So as C.S. Lewis says, you know, when he uses the example of when he's, he, he, did, he wasn't born with good teeth. Well, it turns out everybody's born with good teeth, but not everybody is born with good bacteria in their mouth. So uh, I learned that from a dentist who like basically rebuilt the whole right side of my mouth. He's telling me, yeah, you have bad bacteria. Good teeth are fine, but you know, you didn't take care of them. It's bacteria that tears them up. But so Lewis said, you know, if I have a bad tooth, I'm not going to my mom to tell her. And he says, you know, she'll give me the aspirin, which will help take the pain away, but I know she's going to drag me to the dentist. And when I go to the dentist, I know that the dentist is not going to be concerned just with that tooth. He's going to be poking around at all of them. And then he's going to be finding something. And he relates this to God. That God wants all the teeth out. Now, we, we have this, you know, I want to be an academic, I just don't want to work. And God says, uh, no. I want to work... I mean, I really love people and I want to work. I, you know, I just don't, I don't really like study in the Bible and words and stuff, literature. I don't want that. God says no. I don't want to serve. I don't want to pray. Whatever it is. And God says no, 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 no. And I, George, George McDonald's analogy on this is the best, which C.S. Lewis does use. It's when you've got the leaky roof and you have God come over to fix the roof. And he fixes the roof. And you're like, thanks, God. We'll see you later. And God says, uh, you know what? I think I'm going to take this wall out. I'm going to put on a second edition. I'm going to put on another floor. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, all I wanted you to do was fix the leak. And for some of that's all we want God to do. If I, 
I have a problem in a certain area. I want God to fix that. God fixes that. And then he says, now let's remake you. Completely. Oh, you know, from basement to ceiling, completely. So we would, so in, in this uh, truth means that I have to know the Scripture. Uh, but again, there's a danger there of me just becoming a, a, a uh, you know, a, a bag of hot air scholar with no, with no love. But here's the other thing. Do I have to know it all? And he doesn't say that. And it made me think of this passage. Jesus said to them, have faith like a child. And what does that mean? And again, we have to be grown-ups here to be able to interpret it. Because some would say, well, that means that I should be an idiot. And he says, no. But what a child, we say, well, all right, compared to us, children don't know much. And that's very true. But compared to God, we don't know much. And what is it to be a child? Well, a child doesn't know everything. But a child has faith. And if he does, if he or she does, in his parents or teachers or guardians or what have you, if there's a good influence in that child's life and the child can thrive as a child, he doesn't have to know everything about life to thrive. And we don't have to know everything about God to thrive. Now, if the child doesn't continue to grow in knowledge, then he's not going to thrive. And we've got to grow in knowledge. So it's not good enough to thrive in the knowledge we had, you know, five years ago or even a year ago. We've got to continue to increase. We've got to continue to know more and more about Christ. But we're never going to know it all. So look at Matthew 18.1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You can't believe they asked the Son of God this. It's not the first time and it's not the last time. Uh, and then so, and he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we believe in Christ as our Savior, we do become like children. And there's only one way to be saved. This is throughout Revelation. It is faith in Christ as your Savior. And faith in Him is to become like a child before Him. I mean, you're saying, I'm a sinner and need a Savior. But <clears throat> the point he's making here, and by the way, the Greek word for child here can mean an infant, actually. It's paid on. Pay, uh, paid on. It, it means an infant or a young child. He's probably referring, he probably grabbed here. It wouldn't have been, like some people think he's, he's got like a teenager with him. It's not the case here. This word, there's separate words for children in Greek that are used in the Bible. And this one means a young child. So a child doesn't know that much. But this child, if a child has faith uh, to follow his parents, faith to know that they're secure, Faith to know that they're not going to be abused. Faith to know that they're going to be fed. These are all things we depend on God for. 
right? So you put on the news. Here comes the recession. I've been hearing about the coming recession and, and for, you know, for months now. Is it coming? It might come. Is it a depression? It might come. Uh, you know, they're going to, what's going to happen? I don't know. What I do know is that as he took care of the lilies of the field, he's going to take care of me. So, the child has faith. That's, but he has some knowledge, right? So, we have a limited knowledge. All of us do. Some have more than others. We have put our faith in that. And here's the other aspect of that is it's not often, it's not knowing more biblical doctrine or more biblical data concerning a doctrine that makes Christ a reality. Because there are those out there of a lot, a lot of doctrine, and and I don't, you know, if I don't know who they are, I'm not even thinking of anybody for right now. But uh, <clears throat> like Paul said, if you don't have love in your heart, what what are, you know? Do you really see him? Often, the issue is is that the doctrine that you do know you have not really understood it or put your faith in it. Have you asked yourself, what does it mean? You know, and so that's uh, another thing. It's one thing to know something about Christ. It's another thing to grasp the depth of its meaning so that it fills you and changes you. And I use the word fill just like uh, Paul did in Ephesians 3. If you remember, Paul prayed, in Ephesians 3, that we would be strengthened with power in our inner man by the Holy Spirit. And he said that, he prayed that we would be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that we would grasp the height, the depth, the length. I always get these out of order too. (laughs) The length, height, depth, and width of the love of Christ. Right? There's length, height, depth, and width. That's like... It's whatever Paul means by those four dimensions. He certainly doesn't mean some kind of surface understanding or, you know, I have a few thoughts about the love of Christ in my head that kind of swim around in the surface. But, you know, See, I think in our busy world, we live in a busy world where people, you know, you read the news real quick, you go here, you do all these things. And it's all for many people. Everything's so fast and so busy that everything they do is superficial. Do people take time anymore to contemplate things, to meditate on things, to read things? That's why it's easier to watch something than to read because in reading you have to engage your mind. You have to think things through, you know. If it's just flashing pictures, you don't have to do that. I'm not, you know, I I like both. Sometimes I'm like, if I read another word, I'm going to just throw up. So I need to watch mindless television and just just watch it, you know, go by. But anyway, it's, you know, do we take the time to contemplate things? And even, you know, you go to church, we do the Bible study, we do the, you know, church is over, I'm on to the next thing, I'm on to the next thing, I'm on to the next thing. Have you stopped and prayed in prayer? I would say this is a place to do it. What was the lesson about? 
You know, do I? What is it about the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Do I really know? How much do I know about it? Do I understand it? And to ask God that in prayer is a wonderful thing to do. But we're we, you know, we live in a fast-paced world. So we might know the love of Christ. Paul writes that we would know the height, length, depth, and width of the love of Christ. We might know the love of Christ, but do we really grasp the depth of it? And and what I mean by that is not more Bible verses, but but get those too. But what you do know, have you grasped it? And this often takes introspection, meditation, prayer, contemplation. And also, the most important thing, to attempt to love like Christ loves. So, can I enjoy beholding the Son of God and His influence in all my life without having all knowledge of the Scripture? The answer is yes. Now, there's another danger here. Um, in When I know that the Holy Spirit is going to give me knowledge. All right. But then I know I'm not going to have all knowledge. Okay. Another thing that the church has done over its history is to latch on to a certain theologian or theologians and could be pastors and say, well, they're always right. So, and this, you know, if you want to be right in everything, which is a natural human desire, Right? You want, if someone asks you a Bible question, they know you're like a, you've been a Christian forever and you go to church four times a week. They ask you a Bible question, you're like, I don't know. You don't want to do that. You'd be like, what are you, man, you're dumb. Right? We have a pride in us, a desire to always be right. We have a fear of being found unknowing. And I, th- and I know we have a fear in our own hearts of having holes in our theologies. That's why when we're, if we're challenged on what we thought to be true, how's that feel? Oh, it's emotionally, it's awful. You know, whether the challenge is right or not, we just don't want to hear it. Uh, so, since we can't discern the whole of Scripture, we can lash on to someone who's actually awesome at theology, like Martin Luther, awesome theologian. Is he right about everything? Nope. How about John Calvin? I, I would put him above Luther as a theologian, a marvelous theologian. Wrote volumes and volumes. He's, he's wonderful. I've actually read some of it. <laughs> and he, he's got a chapter on prayer that is magnificent. In his institutes, it's great. Does he know everything? Nope. Uh, John Wesley. John Wesley started Methodist movement. Nope. Jonathan Edwards. There's a lot of Johns in there. I don't know why I thought of them. I, I you know, I, the list goes on and on and on. Jonathan Edwards is American, uh, more of a mystical, but magnificent. No, Edwards is English. Sorry, but uh, you know, magnificent theologian. His writing is just—it's emotional. You know, if if you want someone who has this emotional love of God, this John Edwards, you read him. If you want someone who's more, you know, uh, data-like, as you can read Calvin, 
uh, you know, and, and it, it definitely shows that even the way that they write and the way that they thought was influenced by their personalities. So my point is, are they right about everything? No. But yet you have people running around say, if you ask them, you know, are you a Christian? They'll say, well, I'm a Calvinist. Oh, and that drives me nuts. John Calvin didn't die for anybody's sins. He's a sinner like the rest of us. Though highly talented as a theologian. But all of them have a blind side. And you know what that means of me? I have a blind side. I'm influenced by things that may make me look at doctrines or scriptures in a way that... Yeah, and I have to be careful about that. You have to constantly be reminded of it. You know, if I don't start off my work of studying by asking God, show me you, show me your scripture, don't let my biases come into any of this, just your word. And you know, I know I can get anybody can. So, yeah, and so denominations happen. Like Calvin's not right about that. I'm right about that. And where these divisions happen are places where, you know, so you got a guy like Calvin, Wesley. Wesley came to the conclusion that you could be sinlessly perfect. Well, why is that? And I actually asked my Greek professor about this just this week, and he said, it, it says when you study these guys, when it's when they accumulate so much knowledge over 50 years of studying or something that they start to get a bit full of themselves. And that's when these things pop up. Uh, I read of Luther that when he first started, when the Reformation started and those theses, those 95 theses went out, that when he was engaged in debates with people about the truth of, you know, salvation by faith alone versus salvation by works, which was more Roman Catholic, that he was very calm and very articulate and, and really wonderful to listen to. And you could understand him. And then much, you know, 10, 20 years later, he gets angrier. And you can see why. He's so persecuted. He's persecuted everywhere. And and he got angrier. And one of his biographers said, you know, I, I wish he had stayed the calm Luther. He would have had a, a better impact. But he had quite an impact regardless. Um, so we can't, re- we can't lash on to some person and say they're always right. Because they're not. I'm not. You're not. And there's only one that is. And it's in here. And I think God did this on purpose. He gave us more than we could know. Now, that's my opinion. That could be, that could be a bias. But there's more in here than anybody could know in a hundred lifetimes. There's things in here that nobody can know. We just have to believe them by faith. Well, you know, things like Trinity and hypostatic union uh, yeah. What about end times? You get that all down pat. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, no, nobody does. We're not given enough data. Just take that passage that we just read. He says, if you're like, if you have faith like a child, 
Well, a child of what age, Lord? Didn't tell you. Well, what do you mean? You mean children have faith? I interpret it as they're limited in knowledge, but they have faith in their superiors. We're limited in, it makes sense to me. We're limited in knowledge. We have faith in someone who's infinitely superior to us. So we don't need to know everything about him to enjoy a great relationship with him like a child does with their parents. But is that true? He didn't go into that detail. He kind of just left it to us. And you say, Jesus, what are you thinking? You shouldn't leave anything to us. Everything should be spelled out. Who am I supposed to marry? Where's that? You know? How many kids should I have? What should I do for a living? How, many, how long should Bible class be? It shouldn't be any longer than a few more minutes, that's for sure. It should be 45 minutes. Maybe it's a half an hour. I have to give a. I have to teach a verse in my theology class, and I'm allotted 15 minutes. It's coming up in about a month or so. I'm like 15 minutes. How am I going to do that? I'm blabbing up here. I don't even get started on my notes until like 20 minutes in. But you know, <laughs> that's the one, right? Nice and short. Jesus, well, I don't think about that. So. That's that's great advice. Yeah, he doesn't tell us everything. But he says, trust me. And in not knowing everything, you know, but again, not using that as an excuse to be academically lazy, striving to know the Scripture. And if you've seen Christ, if you've understood any aspect of Christ, you want more and more of that. But it makes us humble. Now, arrogant knowledge can certainly puff a person up. This limited, we're so limited that it makes us humble. So, the next thing, and you know, I meant to get farther uh, today, but the next thing is how do we hear? How do we hear and understand the Spirit's voice of the Scriptures? And a passage that we know well, you can turn there. I just got a minute. We're next to it. Go to John 14. I'll start here on Sunday. Here's another place where we can get caught up. Is the Spirit to make... So, this is purity of heart. Blessed are the pure, they will see God. What is purity? And where does it come from? Well, I need the help of the Holy Spirit to make me pure because it's a supernatural process. Um, but we find out from the Lord and from the rest of the epistles that if we love Him and obey Him, uh, we will we will know Him. And First John chapter two says this perfectly. Uh, same author, but just look at this here. It's but one you know well. John fourteen twenty two. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Now, this is before Jesus has said, which he's going to say in chapter 16, the Spirit's going to reveal me to you. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me and keeps my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him, make our house with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. 
See, the things that are mine are the things that are the Father's and vice versa. And then he says, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. What all things is he going to teach them? Well, you just skip forward to chapter 16, and the things are the things of Christ. The Spirit's going to reveal me to you. But how are we going to hear? Well, the Spirit, and in my estimation, the Spirit is always proclaiming to us. It's just that we're not listening. But how do we hear? By loving Him and obeying Him. And it's real simple. It's not really jazzy or sexy. You know, obedience, no one ever says, wow, you know, I love obedience. You know, most, I mean, most people don't. But if all the learning that we're doing, if it's not showing us the Son of God, we're wasting our time. There's something wrong. If all our theology is not showing us the Son of God, then we're, there's something wrong. We're wasting our time. And we should know that. So, and you can fix it in a, in a day, in a minute, I think. You know, fix it. So, how do we hear? Obedience, loving Him, which is going to lead us to purity. Obviously, if you obey the Lord and you're doing His will, then you're going to be pure. So, as He's teaching us the Lord, who is pure, when we're pure, we're listening. We can hear. And that's the whole point of it. So when we're occupied with ourselves and whatever else, whatever sin, uh, we're choosing that over seeing the Lord. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you so much for the truth and, and revealing to us the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, for giving us the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, so that we can see our Lord and see you. And as we do that, Father, we will enjoy you and be like you and there's nothing better than that. So we ask, Father, that that be true and that we see the reality of what we've learned. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. Yeah, sorry for going late.